Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there, Matt, how are you? Can I be here at the moment? It's a bit noisy where I am. Where are you, my friend? Well, it's one of those interesting things that you see lots of regional locations have lots of different interesting events. Yes. And when we have regional cities, New South Wales meetings, we've got 15 councils that are on that, I often talk to the various mayors around the table and the general managers and CEOs. And so we've got to learn a lot to learn from each other in what we do. And I love to see us getting involved with other council areas because not everyone's got everything perfect. You've yes. got lots of things you can learn from other places. So if you've got events on or if you've had things happen to you, so for example, we had all the regional city mayors and GMs invited up to Tweed Heads and to Lismore to have a look at how they're going from their flooding Yes, recovery. I remember those discussions, yes. So that was an interesting process to learn and to see how other people are going through different things. And I think there's some really good events that we've got on in New South Wales. So mm. can we learn from those? So, for example, at the beginning of this year, I went up to Tamworth to have a look at the Country Music Festival, sat down with the mayor there and went through and just learned about some of the things, went through and talked to various shopkeepers that were in the main street, the main street had been closed off, mm. just to see what you can learn from that. How can we do things better in Dubbo, for example? Mm. And, of course, today you've got the Bathurst races. I was going to say, the only major event happening right now in our region, of course, be down in Bathurst. So you're heading off to the car races there today. Well, I'm there, as we speak. You're, of as, course you are. That's as, exactly as, right. As, as people speak. listen to this podcast, That's you'll be right. sitting down there somewhere around Conrod Strait or Pitt Lane or somewhere, are you? Well, uh, there's a new mayor of Bathurst, so I actually it was good to get an invite from the, the new mayor there to mm. come across to the races. And again, it's one of those things that it's building relationships. Mm. I haven't met the new mayor yet. Well, by the time... People listen to this, I will have met the new mayor. But it's good to build those relationships, learn from each other. But also, what a major event. This is the 60th year of Mm -hmm. Mount Panorama of the Bathurst races. Ever been there before or just the first time? No, I did. I used to go there a little bit as a kid. And when I say kid, as a young adult, I I do enjoy my car racing. I used to race motorbikes as a kid, used to race go-karts. So I enjoy that type of racing and it's good to go and look at that. But it's also good just to see how involved they are running that event Mm. where does council fit in with that event it's a council owned facility Mm. do they just rent it out to supercars for the weekend Mm. how does all that work and again then what can i apply back to double i don't know what other mayors will be there i don't know what other mayors the the mayor has invited across to there but again you'll always learn something that you can apply back in this environment something like this with such a major event like this is huge this goes around the world this type of racing so it it does and you see people being interviewed and you see some of the legend of Mm. the sport the craig lounge obviously we don't see peter brock interviewed anymore unfortunately but you see the craig lounge or the marks gave some of those that interviewed and they just keep talking about bathysis bathysat in fact in particular, some of the Victorians say Bathurst still. They, they don't get the <laughs> pronunciation right. But maybe oh, those only, Mexicans, they never get it right. Well, they don't, but it seems like that almost an American thing where you pronounce every syllable, a bit like mm. Melbourne. That's right. You sound it all out phonetically, that's it. Yeah. Whereas if you spelt Melbourne the way we, we say it in Australia, it would be M-L-B-N, I reckon. Melbourne. That's, that's about it. how we say the, it. The abridged form of everything we say. And so Bathurst is a bit the same. I don't think we really pronounce the U and the R. It's just Bathurst. Bathurst and sort of bring it in. But you see some of these legends who oh, go yeah. there once a year and they say Bathurst. But it is, it's a great event and it does put Bathurst on the map. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. So if you've got an event like that, how can we learn from mm. that? I don't think we need to go and create an event the same, but what can we do to take advantage of that? How can we... Yeah do things in Dubbo that learn from other locations. And Mm. again, it's a lot of money that they put into that, keeping that track in good condition. It's just a road normally, but it's the best maintained road in Bathurst LGR, I'm sure. Absolutely. Look, it's going to be actually wonderful, I'm sure, there today for you, Matt. Have a great time down there and enjoy it all. And, uh, well, come back with some great ideas and see what we can apply here in Dubbo. I'll tell you next week what I got out of it or whether it was just a a nice day to sit there and and have a chat to a few other mayors. I happened to be uh, down at the farmer's markets there uh, yesterday and uh, walking around with my dog after the park run and I happened to come across, uh, I saw you there with a few of the the leaders in our community, people like Dougal Saunders and yourself, Um, community leaders breakfast. That's normally sort of the moment where you guys get together. Was this a community leaders breakfast moment for you? It was indeed and we tried to change it around. So this is a concept that happens nowhere else in the nation. Mm. Getting three levels of government side by side on a regular basis in an open forum, 
that scares some people. Mm. And I really think if you're going to stand up and put your hand up to be elected and, and then be in a position as an elected representative, you need to be prepared to stand there and talk to whoever. I mean, Absolutely. it happens every yeah. day for me walking down the street in the supermarket, wherever my kids, when they were, used to be home, used to joke that if I was going to duck up to the supermarket to grab a bottle of milk, it'd be an hour. And I'd say, no, no, I'm just going to duck in and out. It's impossible. No chance, duck in and out. No chance. You will be stopped. That's right. And that's fine. If you're going to, again, stand for election and mm. be in these positions, you've got to expect that. So we started this many years ago, back when I was on Dubbo City Council. Mm. It was Troy Grant at the time and Mark Coulton and myself and councils, of course, as well, and some of our senior staff. And we would plan them in different locations. So Victoria Park, we've had them, for example. The Rotunda, we had a fair few there. We've even done them in Wellington. That's with the new council. But the idea back when we started, it was three levels of government. We can't say, oh, it's the state or the federal government because you've got the representative mm. from each there. And I knew they were going to be successful within five minutes of the very first event that we ever held. Is that right? It was in Victoria Park. And I remember a lady came over to me and she said, Matthew, I'm having all sorts of trouble with my superannuation, can you help me? Right. And I said, no, I can't. Come you see for a bit of financial advice as well. <laughs> well, it was, it was, there was a specific issue she was having yes. from a legislative point of view, not, oh, so, okay, much, not right. so much where should yeah, I invest yeah. it. Where yeah. should I invest my money right. sort of thing, yeah. So I said, no, I can't. But it just so happens that over here we've got Mark Coulton, mm. who happens to be our federal government representative, and that's where the issue you've got, that's where that issue is. So I went over and introduced it to Mark, and I said, there you go, I'll leave you alone. Mm. None of my business from there on. Fantastic. I spoke to Mark probably half an hour later, and he said, that's a problem that we can solve very easily. Mm. But that lady said she had never wanted to go in or ring up because she didn't want to waste our time. Mm. Very lovely lady. Just thought, oh, they've got more important things to mm. do than worry about my little superannuation. And she was probably a little bit intimidated at the idea of you walk into the office, mm. whether it be council or state sure. government or federal, yeah, yeah. you're walking in and then everyone looks at you and, oh, I've got this little problem I've got to deal with mm. here. So that obviously, to me, is something as well that you put yourselves in an open forum. Mm. And Mark, uh, I got some feedback from Mark a few weeks after that. He said, yep, that problem's all solved now. That's mm. an issue that that woman has had sitting in the background for a long time, years. And now, just by having that open forum, she's got the problem solved. She could have had it solved yeah. regardless, but she felt comfortable mm. going through that process. And I went, this is going to work. Do, do you think that's the, sort of the, the main aim of the community forum is to uh, to give people that access to you guys uh, in, a, in a very informal setting? So therefore, it should be feeling more relaxed that they can come up and have a bit of a chat to you. All of that. So having that ability to talk to people in that informal setting, definitely. Mm. But having the three levels side by side as well mm. means that you can't fob it off because, and there are things that may not be your level of responsibility yeah. and someone might think, oh, you're just saying that. But if I take Saturday morning, for example, the first woman that came and talked to me was a woman who was involved in a community organisation, but they received some of their money from NDIS. Now, that was a tricky one because council owns the facility that we leased them with at a very low rent, a peppercorn-style rent. But the most of their funding they get from their clients is through NDIS. So I said, well, this is interesting. Let's grab Mark. And it sounds like a joint conversation yep. here because you still need the facilities that council is giving you, but you need the income from the federal government mm. through NDIS. And it actually turned out that she also receives a little bit of money for that organisation from the state government. So okay. it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Three of us there, side by side, you can have that bit of a conversation. So yeah. we got to a point where there was a bit of direction to go from that perspective. There was another one where a gentleman came and talked to me and it was really a rail issue that can be solved pretty easily. What he wanted was a pretty simple thing to solve, mm. but he didn't know where to go. And there's a building that's happening at the moment related to state government, but it's here in Dubbo. So he didn't know whether he should talk to me or mm. what he should. Anyway, so we had the conversation. Great. This is a perfect thing we should be talking to Dougald about. And I think it's not really a problem. I think mm. that particular issue will be solved pretty easily. But the South Dubbo Bridge came up as well, which again okay. is, is really about council, so yep. I didn't need to talk to anyone else about that. It was really about council, but again, we'll probably need some funding there from state or federal, but that New South Dubbo Bridge, there was a bit of a concern about that in terms of where the traffic was going to go. Was it going to go straight up Tamworth Street? Mm. So that was a bit of a concern. Mm. Uh, there was a couple of other little things there, just little bits and pieces there. Some of the stall holders from the farmers' markets wanted to know what the charging model was, how much council okay. were charging to yep. use that. So they haven't got as many stall holders as they used to have. Still a great market, mm. but mm. before COVID, you had more stall holders. Yes. Yes. Some people dropped off during COVID. And so now, how do we get more people back? How can council help with that sort yeah. of thing? So all these different things, I think, just a great opportunity. And also, it's good for councillors. We had a number of councillors there. 
councillors, just to talk to our federal, our state reps, just to keep building those relationships. Mm. All of that's very important, I think. Well, it certainly sounds to me as though that a lot of the conversations were very constructive conversations and people coming forward with, with genuine concerns and genuine ideas and suggestions. There's been a lot of a debate that we've uh, sort of been part of, I suppose, through our podcast in regards to issues like the um, the drug rehab centre and things like that, which have created a lot of controversy in town, a lot of anger amongst certain sectors as well. Do you find that these these moments? Did you get any people coming down there, you know, really wanting to vent and to to have a discussion with you at least on some of these more major events that certainly within social media have created quite a um, a storm around the place? Funnily enough it always seems to be the things that are the noisiest on socials when we have these community breakfasts, which we do have them on a regular basis, mm. we really get very few people to come and talk to us about those things that seem it's like... interesting, isn't it? It is interesting because on social media you can have lots to say or you can ask lots of questions and, mm. and expect answers, but it's hard. It would be impossible for me to answer every time I see my name pop up and say you've been tagged in a post hmm. there was just no way I would have enough hours in a day to answer all of those so I say to people if you need an answer if you actually want an answer if you're venting go for it vent away you go yeah. but if you actually want an answer send me an email because I make sure I deal with every email but I can't possibly deal with every comment on every social media site hmm. but what a great opportunity if you've Absolutely. got some issues if you have got a bit to say on social media you've got people standing there you can go up to them and to their face and say yeah. hey what about this I mean you can also ring myself or counsellors, you can also send emails, there are other ways to communicate, mm. but what a great opportunity to be able to go up and talk to people face to face. And there was one gentleman who came along who wasn't happy about a, a recent council decision, yep. and so he did, he came along and said, wasn't happy about that, good chance to talk to a few counsellors and just go through that decision making process mm. further. Mm. So yes, there was someone who took advantage of the fact that we were all there, mm. but I'd love all those other people that have got all these comments to say. And so Absolutely, media, yeah, come, come forward with them. And the funny part is, when I talk to other leaders, other mayors, other state and federal members around the nation and they hear about these events because a lot of people in mm. local government circles talk and they go, oh, I've heard you've got these events there. Oh, that must be terrible. You must get all these people that come up there and really give it to you. And I said, well, no, people are quite respectful. Mm. People have got their issues to come forward with. But I think people that don't do it, which is everywhere else in the nation, yes, yes. they think that what happened on social media is going to happen mm. in it's, it's the physicality. It's more reflective of what real life's about. But what you're saying is now the real life moments like this, we get that opportunity to talk one-on-one. -on -one. You're not really getting a lot of that, that they're no. venting that anger and frustration that applies in social media. And I would say you get more people who have a 30-second conversation that will say, oh, this happened recently, gee, that was good. Mm. Oh, gee, I, I like where council's going with that. They don't need to have a big, long conversation. Mm. Just a quick comment and have a nice day, continue on. Things that are very positive. So I would say definitely the conversations that I had to on, on Saturday morning were mm. all positive or in the main positive. Not all of them were. Mm. Some people had some issues they wanted to deal with. But even you talk about the alcohol and other drug facility, mm. someone came along and they said, oh, look, I'm really unhappy that you've given that land to the state government. Why did you give that land to the state government? I went, no, haven't you heard anything that we've said? Mm -hmm. yes, so there's yes. still misinformation out yes, there about yes. that. And and again, we're still waiting on a final decision from the minister to say whether or not Spears Drive is mm. going ahead. Council is opposed to that. We've got a resolution to say that we're opposed to that location. But even just again... Just putting it there once again. That, just to make sure people have heard <laughs> that's it. That's exactly. But once again, people still think yeah. there's that process there. And, and again, it was one of those things where they said, so why did you give that to them mm. when you could have given this other organisation... Mm that sort of land or whatever. Mm. Even the the interesting one was the building next door to council, the old carpet building. As you will remember, yes, yes. that's been being leased, not yet, but being leased to the conservatory of music. Yes, yes. And one person said that they thought that that was a good location for another facility and that facility had been talking to council about that as a commercial rent, mm. and now you've gone and given it to the conservatorium for a peppercorn lease. Why didn't we get that opportunity? So mm. it's one of those things you've got to be careful. Everything you do, there are lots of different players, lots of different opinions out there. Yep. Uh, but again, I, I really do enjoy those meetings. We'll continue to have them. Yep. So when's we'll the next change. one? Is, is another one coming up? We, we plan them in general around a sort of a time frame where it might be, say, four, four or five months in between. Yep. But again, trying to lock down when you've got Mark Coulton and Dougal Saunders and myself available, yes. then that's always tricky. The next one we'll do, we'll probably do in Wellington because yep. we like to do them down there as well. Great. And so I don't know when, I can't tell you when, but we'll probably try another one like we did on Saturday morning with the markets, maybe combine it with a market down mm. there in Wellington. Just so obviously the lines. advice out there to all listeners is uh, 
Next time it comes around, take advantage of it. Take advantage of it, but you don't yeah. have to wait till then either. No, that's true too. My phone number's advertised everywhere. I'm sure yes. you can contact Google and Mark. Email. There's a whole range of ways to contact us. I don't think the three levels of government we've got here, none of those three levels of government are trying to hide away from no. any members of the public. They're all very open. Absolutely. And council in particular. Now, this is an interesting one. The Res. Now, we've talked about the Renewable Energy Zone at length, haven't we, in regards to a number of podcasts we've had. But during the week, you had a, a video conference roundtable discussion with other mayors around the nation. Um, and it seemed as though there was a, a guy there by the name of Andrew Dyer, I think, uh, who was employed or is employed by the federal government um, to report back to the federal government eventually on the nature of the Res and, I suppose, getting community involvement in this. So talk us through this discussion with the other mayors. Uh, it, was this a discussion about trying to get more uh, other community groups in, involved and in jumping on board the, the res ideas and concepts? This was really specifically about Andrew Dyer's job. He's been engaged, I assume, as a contract to do some work for Chris Bowen. Chris Bowen's the Federal Minister for Climate Change and Energy. Mm. So he's got a job and he's basically called, his official title is the Australian Energy Infrastructure Commissioner. His job at the moment, the reason he's doing these roundtables, is because the minister wants to know whether or not there's a better way to do community engagement. Mm. Is there a breakdown? Is there something that we could do better from the federal government's perspective in terms of that community engagement around the proponents and around some of the energy transmission lines? Mm. Now, that's interesting because the community engagement is often done by the individual proponents mm. or they might be being done by the state government in the case of Energy Co here, for example. So I think it's really one of those things that the federal government says we're not involved directly with some of these individual projects, but is there some sort of framework we could put in to make things better overall? Mm. Now, I've already had a meeting with the actual climate change department and talked about a range of things, including engagement. And I said there's a bit of a risk with engagement where I think you might over-engage people, which mm. sounds crazy, but mm. I think when you're being hit with an engagement process by a department or a government level or Energy Co, and then each proponent, so remember in this res that we've got here, mm. we've got 37 different projects. Now, are you going to have some engagement from all of those? Do you get over-engaged where you just go, oh, another one, I couldn't be bothered with this mm. one now. Is there a way that you could do an overarching engagement? I don't know whether that's the answer. Can I just hold you there in regards to the whole idea of engagement? Are we talking here when you say community engagement? Are you talking about councils or are you talking about members of the community? Community, definitely members of the community. So, so how, how does it work from the point of view of engagement with community? How, how does that actually look in, in a practical sense? So what you would do, you would find a, a proponent might be proposing a, a wind farm. Mm. So they'd put some sort of plan map together of this wind farm and then they'd go out to the community that's around there. So adjacent landholders, the biggest community. So take some of these ones around Wellington, for example, mm. you might have a wind farm being proposed and the adjacent landholders and the community in general, so the, the Wellington community in general, would be invited to go along to a town hall t style meeting. And then there'd be some individual, so if you're right adjacent, you might have some individual meetings with that particular proponent. What are your issues? What things are you concerned about? How can we make it better for you? Our objective as the proponent is to build a wind farm. Mm. But we don't want to build a wind farm where we've got people with picket lines out the front mm. or protesting. We don't want the community offside. How can we make this better for you? What can we do to make that better? Do you like the idea of a wind turbine? Do you hate the idea? Can we fix roads up? Mm. Can we have some community benefit funds? All these sort of things. Mm. You want the government wants these projects to proceed because mm. we've got some targets to address climate around climate change. So the government's got some focus there. But they don't want to get every member of the community offside mm. in delivering all of this. So are we talking here then about the, the, the sharing of information and the communication of the information? Is that sort of really what we're talking about from the point of view of engagement? Well, the, there's probably two parts to that question. One is the meeting we had was really to give feedback what various mayors around the nation are seeing in community engagement. Mm. But from the community engagement process, all of these projects, when they go through their planning process, they'll have to submit information to prove that they've actually engaged with the community, had discussions with the community, taken that feedback on board. Now, this is where sometimes you might find it looks like a box-ticking exercise. Mm. Oh, part of our application needs to show we've done community engagement. Yes, we held a meeting in a hall at 5am in the middle of winter, and so we've ticked that box. Mm. Or, yes, we've done that. We've gone out to the community three times. We held five community 
hall meetings in different locations. We advertise this. So there's different ways you can do that engagement. Mm. Most of these applications will have to show some evidence of engagement, but the really good proponents, they don't do it as a box-ticking exercise. They do it because they want the community on site, and they also know the community might have good ideas. So if I'm looking at this situation now, getting back to the meeting, uh, so you've got here mayors from across Australia. Here in New South Wales, the... This Western Renewable Energy Zone, the Irana, whatever we refer to it as out this way. Now, I think you mentioned once that, that we're one of three major zones here in New South Wales. Uh, is that correct, first and foremost? F- five. There's five, five renewable there? energy zones in New so South Wales. So if we've got five major renewable energy zones here in New South Wales, were all five mayors of those renewable energy zones present in this meeting? Is that part of the discussion as well? Or It wasn't, and I'm not sure who was invited to the meeting and who okay. could or couldn't make the meeting. There were probably, on this video call, there were probably 15 different there were a couple of deputy mayors, but 15 yep. different councils represented right. in that area. And I suppose I felt like I was doing more than wearing a Dubbo Regional Council hat. I was yep. probably more wearing a Central West Arana Renewable Energy Zone yep. hat because I was making commentary on behalf of the Renewable Energy Zone, more or less. Mm. And so it was really that process about how's that community engagement going. And there was different feedback from different places across the nation. So mm. that was all very helpful, I'm sure, to Andrew Dyer. But what, I learned two things from it, which mm. I, I, I found fascinating. You, you never know what you're going to learn from things and never know what feedback you can put in to help that process. Mm. One of the things I learned from the process was that I know we've got a bit of a plan, a bit of a sneaky plan that we don't want to talk too many people about, but to be a bit of a green hydrogen hub. We've mm. already got some land that's been allocated yes, for that. we took this last week, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. and that's progressing there. We'll have lots of green renewable power so that's fantastic mm. so that's fantastic but then as i heard each mayor giving an intro to their particular area and how they were involved from a renewable energy perspective i learned that everyone else thinks they're going to be the green energy oh, is that right okay so we're all in the same boat okay <laughs> so it's, it's, i didn't mention that then i went oh yeah. well that's that's gonna be no good we'll just have to go and do it secretly and yeah. generate that now the bottom line from that is that we will probably have lots of places producing green mm. hydrogen, and that's mm. okay. I don't know that anyone will be able to claim they are definitely the hub for all of that activity. <laughs> that's, that's, sounds like a few hubs around the place. Apparently, that's right. Yeah. So the second thing I learned from it was just the differences amongst the different states. Mm. Now, I'm in New South Wales, so I've got a better understanding of how things work in New South Wales in relation to council for a start, being yeah. controlled by the state government, but also things that happen at a state government planning level. We've talked about it before. There's a bit of a frustration across the state and from other people I've spoken with. Mm. When you go to a solar farm, there's no uh, compulsion to see any planning agreement in place. So you very rarely get any money out of a solar farm. And the council is not involved in the approvals process. So you really get very little for the council. Mm. You might see some employment in the general community and that's about it. When it comes to wind farms, again, councils aren't the consent authority, so we don't see anything from that perspective. But we see a planning agreement in place typically with wind mm. farms. And again, there's some be, sort of financial uh, compensation almost like in that for sort of the sense, community. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. So you're, you're getting some money going to the community, you might yeah. getting some money on roads, et cetera. We've talked about our framework, which is our one and a half percent of the investment value for that particular project over the life of the project. Yep. That's where we've gone. I'd love to see more consistency around that, which I did talk about on this video conference. Mm. But then I heard from some people in Queensland and they were saying, gee, solar farms are much better because council gets to do more on that, more on the consent side of that, and we get some more money out of that. But wind farms, gee, they're no good. So that's the opposite. The exact opposite. Wow. And I just assumed, and it's yeah. dangerous when you assume. That's right. The person we know and love, Pop Fay, used to say, you assume you make an ass of you and you me. and me. That's, that's right, yes. <laughs> and so I'm thinking... That's the opposite. What's mm. the go with that? So quizzed a bit further on yeah. that. And here I am saying to Andrew Dyer, sorry, I know it's your meeting here, but gee, I'm interested to hear more about yeah, that absolutely. from Queensland yeah, perspective. Yeah. Let's go back a step. And again, the Queensland government does things differently than the New South Wales government. That oh. makes sense. Yeah. But there's different levels, different thresholds for consent, and they've got different processes in place for some of those planning mm. agreements. So mm. that's where really the feedback, I know it was a little bit outside the scope of what Andrew was looking for, but one of the bits of feedback was not so much around engagement, it was around consistency. Gee, it'd yep. be nice if any proponent wanting to put in a wind farm or a solar farm or a battery, for that matter, yep. in this nation, yep. knew that there were some standard perimeters. There might be some fine-tuning, but some standard perimeters around that. 
This gets back to one of the things we talked about uh, quite a while ago uh, in regards to the role of the federal government in all of this is, I I think, you've just highlighted perfectly in regards to uh, creating a governing authority that can oversee all of these developments around the place. But as you say, get some consistency across the board on how these developments are going to run and what type of financial compensation should be put back into the communities. This should be a federal government idea, I'd suggest, that uh, not leaving it up to simply to state governments or local groups to, to actually have to govern all of this and to sort this out. But to actually have a federal governing body that does this, is that part of what Andrew Dye is trying to get as part of his feedback? Well, I don't think he was looking for that feedback, but he got that feedback anyway. (laughs) Anyway, that's pretty loud and clear, I'd suggest. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting, though, is that it's almost a bit embarrassing that a policy that we've put together at Dubbo Regional Council Mm. for our framework, the one and a half percent that I've talked about, the fact that we've sent that off to a state government. And we've said this would be something that we think would be good to have as a standard process. Fine-tune it if you like, but just something like this. We've also sent a copy of that off to the federal government when I Mm. met with the department previously. Mm. And here we are, one little council, and we're telling the state and the federal governments how it could slash should be done to be a standard framework for all of these projects. So we've talked about it before. How does the federal government fit into this? Mm. A range of questions around that. But maybe this is the way to say, let's standardise this process. Absolutely. You don't want to have happen a situation where someone says, oh, no, that new solar, wind, whatever, yeah. don't do it in Queensland because they've got these rules in place. Go down to New South yeah. Wales, they've yeah. got different rules in and, place. And you can see how private enterprises would start to think like that. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? If yeah. someone says you've got better conditions in one place than another. Absolutely. You'd absolutely go to there or you'd look to go to there at least. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh. So anyway, it's a, it was an interesting meeting. Hopefully there's lots of good information that Andrew will go back. He's got to have that report back to Chris Bowen by December this year. Okay. Again, that'll be focused on community engagement. Yep. There's a lot of work to happen in this space mm. and not a lot of time to make it happen. So no. it's a pretty interesting space to be in. Absolutely. Now, the uh, during the week there, uh, speaking of... Um, point of view of ministers and uh, governments and all those type of things, Steph Cook. Now, Steph Cook's the Shadow Minister for Water, Um, an important portfolio, particularly uh, with the impending possibility of another drought coming uh, this way. Uh, She came to Dubbo during the week and you had a chance to catch up with her. Now, of course, she's not actually in government now. She's sitting on the other side of the desk right now. But uh, what role would Steph Cook play in regards to assisting Dubbo in regards to water management and how all that stuff works? Well, you never know. And this is one of the things, sure, you want to meet with ministers, you want to meet with people in government, you want to meet with the bureaucrats who are actually making some of these things happen. Mm. And you want to meet with everyone in government or, sorry, everyone in parliament, including people that are in shadow portfolios. Mm. And really it was just a discussion. Steph was in town looking at different things around water. That's a portfolio she's got just to really make sure, I suppose, in opposition. And it's probably fair to say that the opposition that we've got now that have been in government for 12 years Mm. is really working out exactly how they operate in opposition. Because you've got the same as the new government's got to learn how to act in government, Mm. then you've got to learn how to work in opposition. And I think part of that process was really just looking at what's happening with water, where are things, just a fact-finding mission more than anything else, Mm. just to make sure that Steph had enough information to continue on to... I mean, opposition often keep the government to account, keep the government honest, mm. if you like, although I don't like that saying. That's implying that they're normally just dishonest. That's, that's right. right. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think that's the case. Yeah. But really just to make sure that you're going to the path, but also to help. I've often heard from people in parliament that might be in opposition or as independents, if you have any problems here, mm. let us know and we'll go and knock on their door as well. Now, mm. we've got a good relationship with Rose Jackson, who's the Minister for Water. Yep. So we've had several discussions with Rose and I think Rose gets an understanding of where Dubbo's at. But if there was any issue there, we weren't getting any cut through, then having someone like the shadow minister Mm. to be able to knock on the door of the minister as well and say, there's some issues in Dubbo, can you help out, what's happening there? I think the main thing that I wanted to convey to Steph was really about the big picture, the long-term future for Dubbo. And there's a few parts to that. I'm going to scare you with one of these parts. One of the things we've talked about before is that we've got three water treatment plants, one in Wellington, one in Geary, one in Dubbo. As we go down the track, and we're not due for an upgrade, an urgent upgrade for any of those at the moment, but as we go down the track, are we better off for this LGA to have one water treatment plant and all the costs associated with running one and building that at the size and capacity that would be needed and then pipe the water to the Mm. other communities that you've Mm. got on that? Now, that's a possibility at some stage down the track. 
keep that in the back of your mind. You also look at the way you treat water. So, for example, we had some bore water alerts last year, mm-hmm. and that was very disappointing. That was all about that turbidity. Mm. That's a and word I didn't think yes, I'd, I'd yes. never need to say, but That's right. turbidity, turbidity, yes. turbidity. That certainly is something that we can get rid of the issue around crypto by doing some different UV treatments for the water at the earlier stages. So that might be something you might want to upgrade a water treatment plant with. Mm. There's no issue with our water being treated now, but as climate change keeps giving us variability in the water we bring into the water treatment plant, that might be more important. But then, <laughs> the scary one. Right. At the moment, we've got, in different years, obviously low amounts of rain, high amounts of rain. Most people... The, the number one user of water in a normal household is their garden. So when you've got good rain around, you don't use as much. Mm. But for example, you might use anywhere from eight gigalitres up to maybe 11 or 12 gigalitres. Now, this is just double I'm talking about. I haven't got the data off the top of my head for Wellington or Geary. Mm. But say eight to 12, let's say 10 gigs you might use. Yep. Our sewage treatment plant, water that comes out of that. Now, we've got water that's being used by Roger Fletcher that comes out of that. We've got water that goes to a farm Green Grove, it's called, where we grow some crops out there yep. with some of that sewage treatment water. We might get maybe six to eight gigs of water out mm. of our sewage treatment plant mm. at the other end. Now, if you took that water back and put it back into the water treatment facility, so took our treated effluent, yep. treated it to a high enough level that you could take it back in, then you're taking that water around in circles. Mm. Mm. So the amount of additional water we might need in any given year might only be three or four gigs, which like is much recycling better. Of, of the water. Recycling so the water. Right. That's fine. Now, we've talked about it before. We've been increasing the number of bores we've got in Dubbo mm-hmm. so we can handle dry times even better. We've got about three gigs of bore licenses at the moment. We're still looking out for more. How can we buy more? Mm. How can we get that water from, from the bores into our water treatment plant? Now, if we took the water from the water, the sewage treatment plant and took it back around, we might only need three or four gigs. Mm. So the three gigs we've got now for licenses from bores in times when it's very dry, when the river, we might not be able to take water out of the river, that might be enough for us mm. to get by. So we'd have no water restrictions in a very dry year because we're taking water from the sewage treatment plant and it's going around in circles. Is there anywhere else in Australia that's doing that right now? Or is that a, is this sort of one of these new creative ideas or is it, a, is it actually generally happening somewhere? It's happening somewhere. Right. It's happening, I don't, I can't name any place in Australia. It probably is happening in Australia. Certainly overseas, okay. people do take treated effluent and treat it to a level that you can take it back in. Mm. And the expression is "drink your own poo." Mm. Now, there's obviously a lot that goes between yeah. when That's it comes out one end. That's exactly right. <laughs> and yeah. when you look at the water in our settling ponds at the sewage treatment plant, mm. it looks pretty reasonable. I wouldn't drink it, but mm. it looks pretty reasonable. Again, you'd need higher levels of treatment mm. to get to that point where you could actually do it. Now, the good part is, the bonus out of all of this, is we've already got the pipeline <laughs> to take the water. <laughs> the great pipeline. There it the, is. The like, purple yes, pipeline yeah, is yeah. there to take the water from the sewage treatment plant yep. to close enough to the water treatment plant. Yes. But obviously, we aren't talking about doing that. So mm. for all the people that are scared now, all the people that are listening to this while they're eating their breakfast. Thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> what's his next plan? What's happening we're, here? We're not talking about that yet. Yep. But this might be something, mm. as our climate keeps changing, mm. it might be something you'd have to have that good conversation with the community to say, this is what we're going to do. We're going mm. to take the water, we're going to treat it to a certain level and take it back up mm. and put it back in. But again, you need to make mm. sure people were comfortable with that. Hey, tell me, is there a water master plan? Like we've talked about the master plans you know, around the place on many, many different occasions for many different areas. Does Dubbo Regional City Council have a master plan for water? More a strategy, not so much a master plan. And we're doing some work at the moment okay. looking at the best way to utilise our John Gilbert Water Treatment Plan. Mm. So there's work being done on that. But you've got long-term strategies, and part of the long-term strategy might be about bringing those three together. Part of the mm. long-term strategy might be adding on some UV filtering to the Dubbo Water Treatment Plan at a cost of a lot of money, for example. Mm. So there are strategies in place. You need to be planning things like water treatment. You're planning 5, 10, 15 years, maybe 20 years down the track, and that might be something mm. we discuss Again, it hasn't come up at council. I'm, I'm going rogue at the moment yep. in terms of <laughs> taking, right taking the sewage treatment water and putting that into water treatment. There's people in the podcast listening right now going, oh, my God, wait a minute. No <laughs> one's discussed this with me. What's happening here? That's right. And it would be a long time down the track. But it, mm. it would make sense from a water point of view. You'd have to make sure people were comfortable with it. But, again, mm. it does happen in other parts of the world. So they're the sort of things. And, again, mm. when I spoke to Steph, it was really about the big picture, these sort of big picture projects. More bores, definitely we're looking at that. Yep. So in terms of funding, it's really about getting funding for those 
big picture processes mm. rather than how much are we charging per kilolitre for water that we send out yeah. to residents right now. Interrelate. Now, they're a fabulous group here in town and they had an open day during the week. Um, I'll let you sort of explain to uh, the listeners Interrelate and the role that they play in the community and, and how the open day went during the week because you obviously attended it. One of the great privileges I have as the mayor is I get to go to lots of things but also learn about lots of organisations. Mm-hmm. Now, Interrelate is an organisation that provides an absolutely essential service to Dubbo and the region mm. and they're more than just based in Dubbo but I was obviously focused on the Dubbo office but it's almost a bit sad that you need an interrelate but in a modern society we do so they Nature really the beast, isn't it? Yes. They, they really work with families that are needing some help it might be with mediation okay. it might be with co-parenting so you've got parents that don't live together anymore, the marriage or the partnership is dissolved mm. and they've got children in that relationship and they need help making sure that they're getting equal access and sharing that parenting process. Mm. You've got counselling services. You've got the redress scheme. You've got people who help with the redress scheme. So if you've got something where something might have happened to you when you were at school in an institution 40 years ago mm. and you've heard about this redress scheme but you don't really know how you go about it and I'm a bit nervous. and I'm a bit embarrassed about it, which you shouldn't be, but people do have these emotions, then having someone to help you through that process. So they've got a dedicated redress scheme officer, for example. So lots of these services that are involving around families, around Mm. counselling, there's probably 25 staff there at the Interrelate offices here in Dubbo. And I always find it a bit interesting. I've been there before and talked to some of their staff about things they do. But when I was at school, Mm. the office that they're at used to be Graham, Cox and Holden. Oh, yes. And I was friends with Daryl Cox and Graham's son. And that was a car yard. And out the back where all these offices are now, that used to be all the workshops. So there was a, a bunch of mechanics out there and lots of grease and oil out there and now yep. I walk out there and it's beautiful pristine offices there so it looks very <laughs> different. different these days that's it yeah, very yeah. different these days so, so is the open day just an opportunity to, to wander through and to uh, have a chat to the social workers and the counsellors who are there and about what their operations entail all of that I think it was just an opportunity because many people who haven't had the need for those services mm. wouldn't know that those services exist in Dubbo there's mm. lots of things that we it's a big community lots of things we don't know mm. here in our community and an opportunity for that but also an opportunity I think for the CEO who came out from Sydney to sit there and talk to some of the people that use their services, some of the staff. Mm. So just a a good day to to discuss a whole range of things. Lewis Burns was there, fellow councillor. He did Welcome to Country there, but also there was a painting that Lewis had on the wall and it was a good opportunity for me to get him to explain the painting because he did that relating specifically to Interrelate. He Mm. did that a few years ago. And so some of the staff they talked about, the painting had some meaning and they had a pretty good idea of the meaning, but I got Lewis to explain it to me as well about families together and the the painting, as you look through that painting, you'll see the families come apart and then it's not really working, Mm. coming apart. So then Interrelate brings them back together and then it's got a different environment where the families are together, but not quite together, but the children of that family are looked after. Mm. So it was quite a, a nice day, but again... I find it a little bit sad, and maybe I'm a bit old-fashioned, but a little bit sad that that we need those services. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Everyone just got on together and was mm, all mm. very nice and all wonderful, but that's not the world yeah, well, we it's live the, in. It's the perfect utopian society would, would <laughs> be great, right. but unfortunately it's not the reality. No. Community Battery. Now, this was an interesting discussion we had, uh, I'll go back a few podcasts ago, in regards to this whole notion of a community battery. Um First and foremost, uh, I just want you to remind everyone what a community battery is. And then to sort of talk about, they had a follow-up discussion during the week uh, with a group that I suppose would be the next step that may be able to assist us in putting in a community battery into an operation here in town in maybe a, a new subdivision development. Dubbo is in the perfect place to have a community battery because mm. we've got a really high penetration of solar panels on rooftops. So this is all about feeding solar energy into a one community battery operation that's going to maybe go out then to maybe 10 or 12 homes or something. Is that right? A number of homes. So, for mm-hmm. example, you might have solar panels on your roof and you might have a battery in your house. And during the day, you're feeding that solar into the battery. You're, you're not using as much as you're generating. Then it gets nighttime, sun isn't shining, so you can mm-hmm. use that power from the battery. But that's one household. And I might be a heavy user during the day or I might be away during the day. And so 
I'm really getting just whatever my individual situation is mm. with my solar panels and whatever battery I put in. And I might use a lot more at night time than I generate during the day, but my battery would have to be too big just for my usage. Then I might find that my neighbour, oh, he's away at the moment. He's away for two weeks. Yep. And all that solar he's generating, well... No one's using it. That's right. Or yeah. his battery is going to the battery. Well, the battery's full and it's not being used. Yeah. So the idea of a community battery is to take the individual household situation with some solar panels and some individual batteries that people could put in yep. and taking that and spreading that risk across a slightly large area. Mm. Now, you say 10 or 12 households. That was one of the things I was keen to find out. Mm. How many households? Is it 10 or 12? Is it 100? Is it 500? Mm. How many households make sense for a community yeah, battery? Say? Well, they didn't give me an answer. But, <laughs> but this <laughs> came right apart okay. from a congress that I was at yeah. recently and there was a presentation on community batteries and mm. from that I grabbed a business card had a contact followed that up mm. from that contact found this particular company that I had a, a discussion with a couple of people from that company because mm. I said I know we've got people in Dubbo who are keen to progress the idea of a community battery yeah, yeah. so how do we go about it new subdivisions council's got some of those yep. should that be where we're aiming for existing subdivisions how many what's the right number mm. Mm. all sorts of variables and what you are get the, some answers to those ones? Or? Well, no, because there are all so many variables. So right, okay. what I have got out of that discussion, though, is the next step. So Essential Energy, being the physical provider of poles and wires in mm. our area, they're essential to get on board to see how you can feed into the grid with these community mm. batteries. So they said the next step for you is to go and have some discussion with Essential Energy right. to find out some of the mechanics of that yeah. and then once you've got that you, you've got a few more variables to feed in yeah. and then come back to us again have those further discussions now when you've got those other variables filled in and, and locked down a bit more so i've reached out to try and find some good contacts with essential energy yeah. and we'll keep progressing that situation but again it's one of those things it takes time to get things to happen mm. sometimes mm. it's not just one phone call click your fingers and it all happens yep. Yep. you've got steps that you go through and I'm happy to do those steps and follow up some of those steps because I think the outcome will be good, whether it be for existing residents or whether it be for new residents, new mm. greenfield sites. I think there's potential there for that. And I think Dubbo's shown we are very keen to participate in the new economy. Oh, absolutely. And we've shown that on many occasions. Are there, again, that's a question I asked earlier about another factor, but are there any um, examples of this in operation around Australia right now? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I saw some examples down around Queanbeyan, for example. Okay, so some there are some stuff going. Yeah, some yep. examples around Victoria. So it's not out of the... Well, it is out of the ordinary. It's not completely out of the question. Mm. They're not common, but there are a few out there. And I've actually been approached by some people in W who have seen some of these other ones and said, yeah. how do we do that? And I went, I don't know. Let's yeah, go and find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Let's it. go and chase it up. I, I don't have all the answers, but I can keep asking the questions yep. to try and find out some of the answers. The, the councils in these other areas, are they involved in the process like this as well? Or is it just more based upon the individual developers? I think it would come down to the individual people but mm. for example you need to put the battery somewhere so you probably have to put it on some public land so mm. council would have to be involved somewhere along the, the place if you're going to put it on a footpath if you think about an nbn box or an electricity box or a, a little substation you might have mm. feeding a, a development feeding an area for example all of those are typically on public mm. land mm. so a community battery well let's put one in we've got 10 houses here mark let's put one in mm. in our area oh can i put it in your backyard no don't put it in my backyard we play mm. cricket there put it in your backyard mm. so you'd probably end up putting it on some public infrastructure footpaths i'm talking about but again you wouldn't want to take up a big footpath yeah. so yeah. how do they look what size are they depends how many you've got there's lots of variables around that yeah. so council would probably be involved in a little bit but normally that battery would be paid for typically by the residents who want it right. and they're getting the benefits from it as well in terms of cheaper electricity or paying that electricity or, or sorry selling that electricity back to mm. a provider that's in the battery so there's a, a range of variables there and i think there's some government grants at high levels as well yep. for those type of things well, it's a fascinating concept and i think definitely here there would be people in town that would be really ready to sort of engage in it as well i'd suggest Now, you met with the New South Wales Port CEO um, during the week as well. New South Wales Ports. So, in meeting uh, this lady, um, talk me through first of all the meeting in regards to how this went and uh, ports. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're about 450 kilometres from the ocean. Um, we're a long way from the ports. So, I'm just wondering what's the significance of Dubbo 
uh, you yourself, Matt, uh, meeting with the CEO of New South Wales Ports. Are, are we looking to extend the ports? Are they going to build a great big sort of, uh, I don't know, something off the ocean, pull it in here and get some big tankers coming up our way, 450 kilometres from the ocean? So you might do a container terminal. A container terminal River. somewhere out here. Is that, right. is, that, is that our plan? Is that, is that a long-term goal? It's an interesting plan. It's ambitious. I like your ambition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I like to think big. <laughs> I'm just not sure of the costing of that. <laughs> We So I met with New South Wales Port CEO. There's been a standing invitation from the CEO to come down and have a look at the operation there, and I just haven't had the chance and haven't mm. been able to justify that at this stage. But she happened to be in Dubbo and was going through talking to some of the clients that use New South Wales Ports. And this is the privatisation of Botany and Kembla. Now, there's some other assets they own as well, but mm. they'd be the main two assets. So they used to be government-owned. You'll remember that there were some privatisation processes that occurred, and so they sold those two ports off in particular for a 99-year lease. Mm. So you you typically don't, when you privatise things like that, same with poles and wires, you typically don't sell it outright. Mm. You sell a 99-year lease for it, which is a long enough time frame that a company can say, yes, we'll pay a lot of money for that, and we'll invest in that because we think we can make money over a 99-year period. Mm. And you've got Probably for people in this region, you would have people who would use Newcastle. Yep. You'd also have people who use Port Botany and obviously Port Kembla. And they've got different focus points or, or different approaches. Port Botany is really about containers. Mm. That's what they're focused on. That's what they do. 2.8 million containers is approximately the number they would put through each right, year. Right. And so that's the sort of thing that you'd find that there are people out here who use that for some of their goods. But we also get goods that come in. Obviously, there are lots of goods imported in this nation. Unfortunately, we don't do a lot of manufacturing anymore. So a lot of that would become in. One thing I found fascinating, you're always learning things and always seeing how you can adapt that. Of all the containers that come in, the containers obviously got to go out again. Mm. So, mm. so a ship brings in a container, they don't just dump that in landfill, they take it back out again. Yep. We would prefer to fill those containers with things that we're selling to the rest of the world. We only have a 40% fill rate for containers that go back out. So for every 100 containers that come in full of product, 40 containers go back out full mm. of product, 60 containers go out empty. Is that right? Okay. So now, the, the, the imports are strong, the exports not so strong. Correct. And the mm. companies, the shipping companies would prefer there were goods on there because they can charge more for yeah. that. Yeah. I'm sure New South Wales ports would prefer they were full as well because probably there's a different charging regime there. Mm. But that's interesting. Most of the product that comes in, most of the containers that come in, the product that comes into Port Botany is going within a 50-kilometre radius. Oh, so, so right. it's basically okay, going around Sydney and the Sydney, main Newcastle, area. Newcastle, Wollongong, okay. you'd probably say for most of those goods. And even though you might say, oh, look, some of those goods should go up to Newcastle because there's people that live up around there, mm. the reality is a lot of the distribution processes are from Sydney distribution warehouses. So if I'm a large company that I've got branches across the state, then I need somewhere to distribute my products from, well, I'm probably going to build that in Sydney because hmm. I'm going to transport my products the least distance if I'm in Sydney because I've got a lot of my stores that might be in Sydney. Hmm. So I'm probably not going to set that warehouse up in Dubbo and I'm going to bring it into the port. I'm going to then put it on trains or on trucks and send all that product to Dubbo to then distribute where most of it's going to be distributed back to Sydney. Hmm. So that kind of makes sense as well. Hmm. But we've got users that use the ports in here. We've got people who use those ports. Canberra is more around bulk products. Newcastle is more around bulk. Probably coal is the main yep. focus for Newcastle yep. as well. But Newcastle does some containers. Newcastle wants to do more containers going forward. So there's interesting processes in place there. But where we can help for some of that is in helping the transport connections and I suppose lending our voice to that. So, for example, getting product down to Botany or even to Port Kembla, you would prefer to do that on rail. Rail is a more efficient method to use, but often it goes via truck. So if we can lobby the government in conjunction with New South Wales ports to say, please spend some more money on some rail connections. What other things can you do? Or might even be some road upgrades, for example. How important are these ports going to be with our renewable energy zone, for example? Mm, And mm. we think a lot of our products that will come in will come in via Newcastle. I'm talking about Mm -hmm. large wind turbines, even the the large towers that come in. They may come in via Newcastle. But even having said that, some of those roads, the Golden Highway, Mm. may not be able to handle some of these long particular pieces, long blades, long turbines, for example. Are they going to come in via Kembla? Well, coming via Kembla, you've then got to get it from get there up over the mountains out here. And, yes. That's a bit tricky as well, some of the roads there. Would it go on rail? Fantastic. But some of the um, bridges or some of the tunnels you mm. go in maybe aren't 
good enough to be able to handle those long yep. particular items that you've got to bring in. So there's a whole range of different challenges there. We've even talked to one particular company where we've encouraged them, it will be their decision ultimately, hmm. but we've encouraged them to set up a manufacturing process out here in Dubbo. So rather than manufacture some of these large towers ah, and then right, transport okay. the yep. whole tower, then do the, the manufacturing out here in Dubbo. So yep. you might bring in large bulk supplies of the metal and but then you when you actually put it together out here manufacturing it out yeah, here yeah, okay. and, and so you're getting over the mountains in a much easier format and then do the manufacturing when you might be going up and down mm. so whether it be up as far as armadale or mm. down south for example then you can do all that from something that's manufactured mm. out here and that's easier to go up and down the newell highway for example so, so Tom, is this all part then the main reason why you, you met with this ceo it was from the point of view of uh, to build a relationship and to to almost like uh, form a, a common united bond between the two of you in regards to, you know, assisting in road development, uh, increasing rail capacity and uh, um, looking towards future planning. Is, is that the type of main reason why you decided to meet? Well, I met with the CEO because she asked and I don't say no. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyone that wants to meet with me, I'll say, yes, sure, happy to have a meeting. I think the what, what does Dubbo get out of this? What does New South Wales Ports get out of mm. this? I think from New South Wales Ports' perspective, then it's really about just letting people in regional areas understand the importance of the ports, which we do, I think. But again, it's probably a PR exercise from their mm. perspective. Mm. But also, if there are ways we can make sure that we've got better ways for various suppliers in this region to get their product to market and also to be able to bring it in yep. and building some resilience or redundancy in those networks. So if you do get something that happens on one particular link that might take product down to Newcastle, then mm. you've got another link that might take things down to Canberra, for example. Mm. So you've got – it's fairly important in a whole scheme of things in what we do to make sure we've got access to those ports. Mm. That's very important. Yep. So really it's about how do we continue to talk to government, lobby government, and make sure we get things that are right for all of us. Fair enough. Now, talking of master plans, uh, one of the big ones, of course, is Regan Park down there in South Dubbo, sort of that uh, area sort of coming across from South Dubbo into the city area. Now, looks like last Thursday night you uh, had a bit of a walkthrough uh, during the night time to sort of show, uh, I suppose, uh, residents and anyone else around the place to have a look and sort of see potentially where this whole area is going to be developed. Well, you're spot on. And one of the things with the master plan that's interesting mm. is that you do master plans now and I'll be technical here, we've got the Macquarie River North Precinct Master right. Plan, yes. and we've got the Macquarie River South Precinct Master Plan. Yes. We don't have a Regan Park Master Plan. Oh, okay. I'm being, I'm being very pedantic there and, and very harsh, and I apologise for that. But so is this the Macquarie River South area? Is that the area Correct. which is so, referred to so as the Regan Park? That's right, and most people do call it the Regan Park Master Plan, and that's fine, but, yep. but it is, it's about more than just that Regan Park area, but that mm. was the area that you may vaguely remember caused a little bit of controversy. All vaguely? Sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of <laughs> accusations. Got into our head, didn't it? <laughs> of, uh, of conspiracies and oh, different things yes. with sporting clubs and all God sorts of things, what, and yes. now I think people can see that actually it was a really good, open, transparent process, and mm. we've got a good master plan there now. One of the things that's interesting with a master plan is you get the master plan and then you say, great, now let's look for opportunities to get some funding mm. to realise some parts of that master plan. Mm. And we've got some funding, a little bit of funding to cool. do that, which is an interesting process. This caused a bit of controversy as well. The state government announced that during the election campaign, there were various proposals or yep. projects that candidates could put forward for their particular area that they were standing for election. So you've got 93 electorates across the state, mm -hmm. and I think they were given approximately $400,000 each to say, yep, where they wanted to allocate okay, that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it was an interesting process. We as in council were told, here's a project that was put forward by the candidate, the state member candidate for the election in March this mm -hmm. year, mm -hmm. and so can you put an application in for that, please? And we said, oh, well, $400,000 We've got lots of things. We should take that through council to see what the priority is. And they went, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Oh, <laughs> it right. works like this. Yes. The candidate nominated something to spend $400,000 on, and that's what you can put an application in for. Oh, really? So it's come from that side of things. Okay. Yeah, or right. not. Or don't put it in. Oh, right. And okay. so when, when they yep. came up at a council meeting, there was a little bit of discussion, and I know some of the media jumped on it saying this was an example of poor process, poor mm. barrelling, whatever mm. you want to call mm. it. Mm. And it was an interesting process. We'll take the money. Mm. There's no doubt about Happy that. Days. If the money's being offered... Council staff have put that. What's the old line? Never look a gift horse. There never it is. Never look a gift horse. That's yeah. right. So the project that was put forward by the 
the candidate here in the Dubbo electorate was for a picnic area mm-hmm. at the on the Regan Park part of this whole master plan and doing it down near the weir, near the South Dubbo weir. Yep. And so there's the money for that. So we don't really have an opportunity to do anything else except that and right. also some planting, some tree plantings as okay. well. So we actually said to the community, we did two of these, yeah. basically a walkthrough just to give people a bit of an update how the master plan will look in its physical, it's all good to look at the plans, mm. how it looked physically, mm. and then around to this picnic area there. So we actually, they had a little bit of an area mode where a road will go down. Yep. Some residents came down from Regan Park just to have a look at how that will sit yep. in relation to their houses along there, yep. and just at, that will flow around, and here's where the picnic area will so, be. So does that help people uh, visualise a little bit what's actually, what the plan is for that area? Is it going to be football fields or park land or, <laughs> sort of throw that out there? <laughs> no, and I think it'll be What's good. it actually going to be? There were some residents concerned who back onto Regan Park concerned that having roads and having various activities around there mm. will mean that their private backyards will be somewhat impinged upon. Mm, mm. But again, this is a public area that's being opened up for the community. It was never bought back in 2004 from memory. I was on council at the time. It was never bought to be just left as a paddock. It was always bought to be used for something for the community. Mm. Again, you've got to get it right in terms of the balance, how much activity there, how much do we basically see into people's backyards there, Mm. what plantings can you have there. That's all big picture stuff. It's not going to be used very much yet Mm. because even when this picnic area goes in, people will still access that via the existing crushed granite pathway that's in place there. It'll be some other funding sometime in the future before we'll have enough money to be able to do any other parts of this. Mm. But it was good to have residents here, hear a bit of feedback from them. Some residents said, that's fine, love the idea of it, but can you not have people here at night time? Can you have some automatic bollards that come up or some gates or something Mm. along those lines? And all those things are possible. So it's always great to get out there, hear from people, hear from the community, and also to get councillors who have gone through this process, approved a master plan, but in amongst where we were, probably not many councillors have got out in amongst there and walked through that area. So mm. it's good yeah, to absolutely. visualise some of those areas there yeah, as well. Yeah. So it's progressing. It'll progress slowly. It's a 20-year project. Yeah. I don't expect this to be finished in five minutes. It takes time and also takes money mm. over a long period of time to get this realised, mm. but it's a good step along the path. Yeah, that's right. Now, speaking of paths and, and roads and things like that, Sheridan Road. Now, it appears as though... Uh, the Sheridan Road, uh, where we had that undulation, let's just say, of the road there, and which was in a pretty ordinary condition. Um, this is sort of heading back from you know, St John's College, going down there to Boundary Road. Um, there was some repair work done. It looks as though the repair work's finished, from what I can gather. You might give us a bit of an update on that. And also, it also um, came from an earlier discussion with the principals and others as well about putting a pathway in there, uh, which goes, of course, from the schooling-based area up there on the top of Sheridan Road all the way down to um, Boundary Road again. So is this all completed and ready to go? Pretty much, yeah. And the, How good's plan, that? Yeah, the plan was to have this done during the school holidays yeah. from a previous meeting that we've discussed with the schools. The school holidays were coming up. Great. Delay the work a little bit and do it in the school holidays. Mm. That makes it a lot easier for everyone and that makes perfect sense. And that's a reason sometimes you have a meeting. Why are you having a meeting? I'm not sure. Let's find out at the end of the meeting if that meeting was worthwhile or not. Mm. And some meetings people would say, oh, that was a complete waste of time. But gee, it's rare for any meeting that I've been in for me to walk out and say that was a waste of time. You'll always get some information, you'll learn something, Mm. you'll be able to progress a solution forward in a different direction than you might have done previously. So there's always something you can gain out of it. We didn't go into the last meeting when we decided when to do this to say, when should we do this? We were talking about some other areas and then it came up about school holidays coming up. Great, perfect idea. So that's been done, you're right, during the school holidays. So it's an 800 metre section that's basically a a bitumen-sealed footpath. It's not going to be the sort of bitumen that you'd expect to drive around Mount Panorama Mm -hmm. on. It's bitumen that would be great for you to walk along if you're going to walk to school or even ride a a bike on. It's a safe space and a safe area for the kids to walk along in particular. That's it. it. You've hit the nail on the head. It's Mm. not somewhere where we're designing kids to be running or riding fast. It's somewhere that is away from the traffic. Yes. The other thing you've got is that we've done some work on the road section as well. Now, again, this is patching work we're doing, not a full reconstruction. The road needs a full reconstruction. Yep. But as we've talked about before, we don't want to do that until get the we Blue get... the Ridge Link Road set up there, isn't Correct. It? Yes. We want to get an alternative path for that heavy traffic to go, and then we can spend the money on doing that properly. Mm. 
because we don't want it damaged by those heavy vehicles mm. as we're going mm. up and down there. So that's good. About $80,000 was spent on this. That came out of our 23-24 budget delivery program and operational yep. plan. So yep. that was all good. And so when people go back to school on Monday, uh, that'll be teachers and students, yes. they'll see things improve there. Again, don't think it's the final solution. Don't think it's going to be perfect, mm. but it's an improvement over yeah, what was there before. Absolutely, that's right. Now... Next Saturday, um, we're all going to be voting for the voice. If you haven't already um, voted and made your choice already, um, but of course the fourteenth is the date set down for the referendum. Now, one of the things that council decided that be a good way to uh, to show their level of involvement in this discussion is to organise a forum. Um, and it appears as though the forum is coming up, and it looks as though it's all ready to rock and roll. And it's going to be on a Tuesday, the tenth of October down at the DRTCC on the flat. So talk me through this community panel event. Um, some more specific details for our listeners in regards to how this is going to operate. I don't know exactly how it will operate. I've got an idea of how it will operate, but it'll be interesting to see how it does operate mm. on the evening. So 6pm on Tuesday the 10th of October, as you mentioned there. And this was because we had some discussions at council and there were some people who would like us to have certain positions on council. And as we discussed it with councillors, we didn't think it was appropriate, and I know some other councils have done this, but we didn't think it was appropriate to go out with a position to try and tell or encourage our residents to vote mm. in one way or the other. We didn't think it was appropriate for us to tell in a democratic society someone else how to vote. We wouldn't do it for a state election, we wouldn't do it for a local election, we wouldn't yep. do it for a federal government election. But there are, again, some councils that have chosen to do this. We thought the best way we could help with this was to help educate people mm. make sure you understand make sure you've got the information and so to that end we've put together a panel four-person panel two people that are in favor of a yes vote yep. two people that are in favor of a no vote we've got nick lowther from the abc as our mc right and okay. he's, he's going to run the event and it's an open invitation to anyone that wants to come along yep. and you can register to attend if we do fill it up. Mm. The people that are registered obviously will get preference on that. Mm. I'm not sure if we're going to fill it up or not, but sure, register. And if you've got a question, you can ask a question from the floor, but you can also submit a question before the event. Those submitted questions will get preference over the ones on the floor. If we run out of questions that's submitted, yep. then we'll go to the floor. It's really an opportunity. I'm certainly going to go along. Mm. I'm not involved in the evening, but it's certainly an opportunity, I think, to sit back and listen to both the yes side and the no so no, yes. so, no side. And also for people in the audience to listen to that. Now, I'm sure there'll be some people in the audience who will have definitely made up their mind and want to come along and, mm. and push a certain angle. And that's okay. Any sort of candidate forum, any forum like that, you're always going to have people who have mm. got their mind made up. But hopefully there'll be people there with open minds just to listen and learn. This is an important referendum. This is the first referendum we've had this century. Every referendum is important, but this mm. one is very important making sure you've got enough information to make that decision. And it has been a bit disappointing, some of the misinformation out there. Look I've said to you before, yeah. I, I love a good debate. One of my favourite things to do is sit around with friends or family and have a, a dinner party and you yeah. just have a conversation about nothing in particular and put different points of view forward. That's really enjoyable. I find that mentally stimulating. I find it interesting. You learn lots along the way if you've got an open mind. Yep. What I get frustrated with is when you have that debate with someone makes up stuff or the information is wrong or the facts, in inverted commas yes. they're quoting, are not really facts. It's something they read on the internet. Yep. And so that's what we've seen. And we've seen more examples of it recently with just almost misinformation campaigns. Have the debate about the voice. Have the debate mm. about what it will mean for yes and no, but make it something that's actual real so we oh. can make a, a proper decision. And, absolutely. and just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I don't like you. And you, doesn't you mean, mean you're racist. If, if you want to vote yes or no... You might have an opinion about which way you want to vote, but, yep. but voting yes or no, either way, I've heard people called racist for both ways they want to yeah, vote. Yeah, that's right. And you just go, no, it doesn't mean you're racist. You're allowed to have an opinion mm. without being racist. You're allowed to have an opinion without being an idiot. Yep. You're allowed to have an opinion without just not liking someone else. Yeah, that's right. It's just an opinion. That's okay. You know what? At the end of the day, I'm really hoping uh, that this this goes really well, the panel, because I, and I also hope too that, that people understand that I think one of the biggest problems I've seen in the discussions around all of this is just the, the level of emotion that's been brought to the table over this. Um, now, I can understand there is a lot of emotion associated by the nature of this discussion, but we're talking about information sharing. 
we're talking here, but this I think has been one of the biggest problems with this whole constitutional discussion, is there hasn't been enough true information sharing based on what this is all about. It's been too much finger pointing, too much uh, people sort of, I don't like this and I don't like you and I don't like the way you've sort of stood on this front and how dare you say yes to this and you should be saying no or should be saying no and should be saying yes. All this sort of stuff going on. It's like, wait a minute, can we just get back to what the discussion is about and let's have genuine discussions, as you say, Matt, that are respectful, that are based around what the facts are, and then allow people then to form a judgment without any fear of intimidation, any fear of others sort of belittling them because that's their choice. And one of the interesting discussions I had at the community leaders meeting on Saturday morning was with Mark Horton being the federal government representative, and I said the real challenge for Australia is, the first challenge is the 14th of October. Hmm. The next challenge, and probably the bigger challenge, is the 15th of October. Because when the decision's made, and presumably we'll know that night, when the decision is made, then you've got people in Australia will have voted yes and some will have voted no. I can't tell you which way is going to be the majority and which way is going to come out on top, but you'll have people voting both ways. Getting Australians to come together after that, because there'll be winners and losers. There'll be people who have voted no and it ends up being a yes, or people who vote yes and it ends up being a no. So there'll be people who'll be unhappy with that. How we get the community the entire community to keep going forward and accept that decision yep. and then move on, that will be the real challenge, I think. So, I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, this, so, yeah the, the, as you say, the debate and the discussion, the voting is one thing. The realisation, what the outcome will be, and then getting the entire Australian community to support that, mm, that's a whole new challenge. That's a challenge. Yeah, that's right. Well, Matt, it's uh, time now for the Limerick of the Week. So, a few little things here to talk about today. I'm interested to see which way you're going to lead today. Definitely the community leaders meeting. I mean, I know it would be easy to do it on The Voice, but maybe you wait till next week. That's right. Save that for next week's discussion, maybe. But I just, I love this concept of community leaders breakfast, community Mm. leaders meeting. I just love the concept that it's not done anywhere else in the nation. It's done regularly. We put ourselves, all three levels, put ourselves out there and say, come and tell us whatever. So my limerick is all on that. Wonderful. Here we go. Let's see what you got. In Dubbo, we hold quite a meet where leaders and locals do greet. Council, state and the Fed share a forum, it's said, for community talks that are neat. Oh, well done again, mate. Well done. Well, folks, I hope you've enjoyed our discussions there today. Of course, it's, uh, it is the time to vote this week, so next Saturday, make sure you get out and do your voting. But until next week, you guys take care. Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.